pressure. Drops. Thibodeau. All he did was almost record double-digit sacks. Steps up in the pocket and goes down. Guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. Here's a guy who has the work ethic and the talent. Now Willis taking a shot for the end zone and it's caught. First of all, I think Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt may even be gone by the time they pick it 50. It's Monday, February 7th, and another week closer to the 2022 NFL Draft. Welcome to First Draft. I am Field Yates, your host, and we're talking about a lot of important players from the past week in Mobile, Alabama, at the Senior Bowl. And as always, I am joined by the two people whose opinion you care about the most when it comes to the NFL Draft. I'll begin by saying hello to the godfather of the NFL Draft, Mel Kuyper Jr., looking natally clad in his TV attire today. What's going on, Mel? Great to be with you, Field and Todd. Todd, back from Mobile with a lot of news and notes today. Yes, Todd, you were our man on the ground last week. How was it this past week in Mobile, Alabama, taking and get another senior bowl? I know it's a big thrill for you to be there every season. It was great. <clears throat> Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, deserves a lot of credit. He and his, his scouting staff. You know, the, the thing is this year we're, we're going to complain a lot that there's not, you know, the, the elite quarterbacks at the top. There's not great uh, running backs at the top of the board. The first round is, is probably a little subpar compared to most NFL drafts. But the thing I saw at the Senior Bowl, I, I'm having a hard time squeezing in all the second and third rounders. There are that many talented players in that second, third round range. Even like the defensive line, let's say, on one roster alone, I think it was the national roster, 10 of 12 Defensive linemen had second and third round grades for me, and the two other guys had fourth round grades. So there was so much talent in that second, third round range, and it really stood out this year at the Senior Bowl. You know, Todd, we always talk about, we always acknowledge the NFL draft being an inexact science. And I've gone back through drafts that were considered home runs, and some of the players picked near the top of those drafts to not pan out. Conversely, I've gone back through some of the drafts that were billed as not necessarily franchise-altering drafts with tons of depth. And they churned out a bunch of it. So this process over the next couple of months will allow us to get to know some of these players a little bit more. And we're going to get into them in just a few minutes. But just a reminder for those that are either new to first draft or catching up on the show as we get ready to turn the page from the NFL season to the NFL's offseason. We're available every Monday and every Thursday. This show Monday is live on YouTube, on the ESPN app, on Twitter, anywhere that you find your digital media, we are available. And then on Thursday, Mel and Todd join me for the top of the show. And then we finish off with some thoughts from other guests around the league, which include one of our newest members of the ESPN family, Jordan Reed, a draft expert. But let's head on back to the Senior Bowl. And we're going to go through some of the players who, after last week, might have seen their stock go up or perhaps go down. And we're going to go back and forth, Mel and Todd, with all sorts of players. And Todd, part of the reason why this draft class is different than last year is that last year we had five quarterbacks who we knew were going to be top picks. Five went in the first 15. This year we don't know how many will go in the first 15, but a player who may have, may have helped himself this week and made some money was Liberty's Malik Willis. What would you see? I, I, thought he was, I thought he played really well. And I thought you know one thing that stood out to me was in, in the, the second practice that we had, I think it was on Wednesday, when it, it rained all day long, sideways rain, winds gusting. He didn't really, he wasn't affected throwing the football. And that was a positive sign, whereas other guys, especially Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, uh, his, his velocity and his accuracy was affected. He still has developing to do. There's no question about it. He, like, he, like Coach Freeze told me when we talked for a half hour on the sideline during one of the practices, he doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. Mm. And he's going to need probably the most tutelage in terms of developing from Liberty to the NFL, picking up the blitz and doing different things pre-snap. 
But he has the strongest arm, and that was obvious on tape and obvious, again, at the Senior Bowl. You love to verify that. The ball just explodes off of his hand. And the thing is, what should be a five-yard loss turns into a five, seven, ten-yard game with him because he's so explosive and dynamic as a runner. We saw that he had the longest run in, in the Senior Bowl game on Saturday. I think it was 27 yards on a design pass where pressure came. He took off running and, and really crossed the entire field from right to left. So you talk about the most mobile and, and electrifying player at the quarterback position in this class with the strongest arm. I thought his accuracy was, was good throughout the, the week of practice. I think physically he's the most intriguing prospect of all the quarterbacks this year and has the most to work with. But again, he's going he's gonna to need probably a little bit more time. I would start him right away. In today's NFL, start mm. him right away. Let him gain game experience. And because of the mobility, he can work through some of those bumps. Uh, but I think he's, it's going to take him two, three years to get where he needs to get mentally and understanding the game from the NFL level. Uh, but once he does, and I assume he will, I think he's got a chance to be a really good starter in the league. Mel, did this past week change your evaluation of Malik Willis at all? No, it really didn't. It really didn't. I think Todd has learned one thing over the last year. He learned to not put running backs in the first round. Now he's learning never to say the most NFL-ready quarterback because he just said Malik Willis should play right away. They all play right away. Susie Colbert taught me that a long, long time ago. That don't be talking about them sit, watch, and learning. They're going to play. Malik Willis, you saw what you saw, and that's what we did with Kenny Pickett, and that's what we did with Desmond Ritter and Sam Howe. I don't think you change your opinion much at all on the quarterbacks when they get to Mobile. You want to kind of put an exclamation point next to those guys. That's what I've done over the years, and I think if you change, sometimes you're going to change and go the wrong way. And I haven't seen it affect a lot of players. Russell Wilson was still a third-round pick. Justin Herbert was still the third quarterback taken. Josh Allen was still the third quarterback taken. So I think you look at it and you say, okay, where are the quarterbacks in the ratings for Todd and I now as opposed to where they were last week? I don't think they changed. Desmond Ritter, to me, is the most intriguing. And I said this, Todd, in field before the Alabama game. Depending upon how he played in that semifinal game would determine a lot about how you feel. And you mentioned at the top, it's an inexact science. The human element is when you see a kid you're expecting to maybe be in the QB1 discussion, struggle mightily against a great football team where his team up front was outmanned, but he looked himself to be a little overwhelmed. How do you deal with that one game? Is that an overreaction to one game? Is it going to matter in the long run? That's why evaluating players, like I say, is not an exact science by any stretch, and so many mistakes are made. Desmond Ritter is a guy that's polarizing. He's an enigma. He's intriguing, but he's got talent. He looks the part. And if you see him in the right game, you think he could be QB1 or should be QB1. But uh, nothing happened in, happened in Mobile uh, to say, well, the Alabama game I'm not going to worry about as much, or I should worry about it a lot. I don't think that really changed in terms of the opinion of these quarterbacks at all. Yeah, a lot more to digest with all <laughs> these quarterbacks. Go ahead, Todd. Yeah, I was just going to say, Kuiper's, Kuiper's out of his mind. You know, I, I put a running back in the first round. When I, a, when I want to put a running back in the first round, and B, when he deserves to be in the first round. It just so happens this year there's not a running back that deserves it. Derrick Henry did, and you're telling me you wouldn't use a first-round pick on Derrick Henry? I mean, there have been plenty of guys with first-round grades, but we, we can get to that later. But he just throws in that little, that little needle. I get it. But, I mean, come on, Kuiper. If there's a first-rounder, you grade him in the first round, you move on. I'm never going to follow any of your rules for drafting. Let's put it that way. We need to write a book on all, all, all right, of tough them. guy. I hear you. I yeah. hear you. I'll get, I'll get to you in a minute. <laughs> I love this. See, this is what we live for during the pre-draft process. Todd, let's go back to you for another player that may have helped his stock. We talked about him last week with Jordan Reed. I love Zion Johnson. I'm also a Boston College fan, so I should. How did he look last week in Mobile? 
I love this guy. Zion Johnson, what a journey he's had. He started at Davidson, transferred mm. to Boston College, played at Garden, was great. They kicked him out to left tackle because they said that was best for the team. He didn't, he didn't have a great year. He's kind of a fish out of water there. Moved back into guard this past year and developed into the best guard in the country. Jim Nagy said, hey, Zion, you remind me a lot of Rodney uh, Hudson, who came out of Florida State, had p- position versatility. We think you could be a good center. You want to try p- some snaps at center this week. He comes in and he just embraces it. All week long, Zion Johnson, not only during practice, was playing center. He was the last guy on the bus every day because he was snapping to one of the other offensive linemen, whether it was good weather in the first day, pouring rain in the second day of practice. Every day he was there getting extra reps so that he could prove, hey, you can play me at guard, I'm going to be great there, or you can play me at center, and I'm going to be great there too. I moved Zion Johnson up a little bit in my rankings. I already had him as a day two prospect, but I've got him now in the top 40, and I think Zion Johnson is, is going to be one of the best interior offensive linemen, whether that's at guard or center from this draft class. Mel, he feels like the kind of guy that at the end of the first all, Okay, go ahead, Mel. No, I didn't move him up. I had him as the number one guard. And I love the fact that, like Todd said, he stayed after practice. He's working at center. He did the good job in the game. He's got the versatility. He plays wherever you want. He's a smart kid. And he's got a chip. You know, he can went to Davidson. Nobody really wanted him. BC's done a really good job over the years. I look at Matt Milano coming out of high school. It was a safety. Nobody really wanted him. Goes to BC. Ends up late round pick. He's a great player with the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to compare Milano to another player at linebacker that impressed me down there as well coming up uh, you know, as we move through this whole senior bowl evaluation. But Zion Johnson, got to love the kid. Could he be a first-round pick? Sure he could. Uh, when you can play center and guard, and you've proven that, and he's played tackle, got a necessity basically. He's not going to be a tackle. Guard, center with that versatility and the intellect and the chip, that, that edge that he plays with. Yes, the late been, been at 25 to 32 range. You could see as Ian Johnson uh, get into the later portion of round one. It sort of strikes me as one of those guys that if he has taken in that back end of round one, a team that's already really good has an immediate starter who's going to have a high floor and a high ceiling mm-hmm. as a prospect. BC has a couple of draft-eligible prospects this year along the offensive line. One of those is Tyler Vrabel, the son of Titans head coach, Mike Vrabel, he is an impressive young man himself. Let's go to you, Mel, now for a couple of guys who may have helped themselves this week and a linebacker from a school that has been in the draft news cycle over the past few years. Yeah, you think about Wyoming with Chad Muma and, and Logan Wilson, what a job that he's been able to do. And, of course, Josh Allen, my guy Josh, doing a phenomenal job, superstar in the NFL. Logan Wilson's with the Bengals in the Super Bowl. And Chad Muma, in that game, we saw the production at Wyoming, what he was able to do, which was off the charts. He had 142 <coughs> tackles, eight tackles for loss, and he had three interceptions, active always around the football but, Todd, when you watch the game Saturday, what did you see Chad Numa do? seeing there intercepting a pass. You saw him track down Malik Willis. Malik Willis had that play at the end of the first quarter where they take it like it's the end of the, the half. And they say, okay, get it down the field in X amount of seconds. Well, he was at the 40-yard line roughly. Didn't see anybody open, started running. We got down to look like he was going to run maybe into the end zone for a touchdown. Chad Muma got him at the five-yard line. This kid, when he gets his hands on you, you're going down. He's smart. He loves to play the game, highly competitive. It wouldn't shock me if he went a little higher than Logan Wilson did. Logan Wilson was what a third-round pick, guys. I think you can see Chad Muma maybe in the second round. Jalen Petrie. Production is where you have to go. If you're looking for guys who weren't productive in college, you say, well, they're going to be workout guys at the combine or pro day. Yeah, put the put a little red flag up. You want productive guys who do well with the combine and pro day. And Chad Mumble will be watched very closely, as will Jalen Petrie. 
Safety from Baylor, who was a do-it-all guy. He spent a ton of time in an opposing team's backfield. He's intercepting passes, breaking up passes, doing it all. Jalen Petrie, you talk about a round of football and what he was able to do for the Baylor Bears. Mm. The numbers speak for themselves. I mean, 75 tackles, 18 and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, a couple interceptions. He's forcing fumbles. He's breaking up passes. Really emerged for Baylor the last two years of his career. Uh, you talk about a guy who could be no later than round two, I believe. We're going to get into the late first. The pro day and combine uh, will determine that. But when you look at the versatility, he brings a defense. Uh, I think he's a solid second rounder now. So I really love what he was able to do. Then we go to punter. Jordan Stout from Penn State. Average yes. over around 46 yards a punt. Uh, his directional skills are outstanding. He showed that in the game. He was booming 50-plus yarders on a regular basis. He had touch. He didn't make touchbacks. He had fair catches, okay? And he was able to do the job in terms of that directional ability. Jordan Stout, I know Camardo's a good one, but Jordan Stout from Penn State's my number one punter. I wouldn't be shocked if he went around that fourth round at early day three area. You need a punter that's going to be big time. Uh, he can do that. And Boye my coming off the edge at Minnesota was unblockable. He had a little, he had a stretch from late September into early November. Where that's the majority of his sacks and tackles for loss came from. The elite teams with good offensive lines schemed to keep him at bay, which is what great teams do. They don't let the best player on the opposing defense beat me. But Boye Mafe, the attitude and the approach and the, and the production in the game and what he showed coming off that edge, flying <coughs> off that edge, screaming off that edge, uh, could make him certainly a day two selection. I love it. We have reached punter portion of the first draft. Todd, uh, your thoughts on all those prospects that Mel outlined. And if you want to save your punter thoughts for a later edition of the show, that's totally fine. But if you want to weigh in, have at it. Well, the only thing I'll say is mark it down February 7th. That means that the draft season has started when Piper is <laughs> starting to talk about the specialists. Kickers, punchers. That, that's when you know it's like we're, we're good. We're, we're going. You know, it's usually after the Super Bowl. But this year he's so hot on, on Stout the punter from Penn State that he, he's going to drop it in before the Super Bowl. So n now it starts. Um, I'll just go back to Moomer real quickly. Uh, he's my guy. I, I just love the way he plays. He's fast. He's, a, I think, the best tackler of the off-the-ball linebackers outside of N'Kobe Dean from Georgia. And, and he was just as all over the field. And he's an every-down starter. He's, he, he can cover, as Mel outlined. And the other player, too, and I think we'll get to him a little bit later, but uh, Troy Anderson from Montana. Between Muma and Anderson, I, I thought they were the, the two – best off-the-ball linebackers all week consistently in practice. Doesn't mean they're going to be the top two guys getting drafted. I mean, it may be uh, Tyndall from, from Georgia or, or one of the other guys, but I, I think Muma and Anderson, when I was just studying the off-the-ball linebackers, guys that could cover sideline to sideline, good tacklers, those are the, the best two performers at the Senior Bowl. I think they're both going to wind up being second-day picks, and they come from Montana and Wyoming. So, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see guys that we're not seeing during the college football season in big games, top 10 games in the SEC or Big Ten. We're talking about Montana and Wyoming producing two of the best off-the-ball linebackers in this year's class. Good year for Rocky Mountain region scouts uh, who have a couple of linebackers <laughs> in their area. Uh, one more player that I believe Todd feels as though raised his stock from this past week. That's Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, another toolsy pass rusher. Feels like every couple of years they got at least one of those in Florida State. Yeah, Johnson was was awesome. You know, he, he came out in the first couple of practices. He, he just, you could tell right away. And, and I always say it, you can tell after sometimes the first practice, but certainly after the first mm -hmm. two, who the elite guys are. 
And Johnson showed it right away. You see in these clips, the explosiveness with his upper body, the ability to get off a box. He was winning one-on-ones consistently. He was disruptive during, during team practices. And I listen, I, I had him kind of on the fringe in the first round. I thought he was going to be a first-round pick when it was all said and done in a really good uh, defensive end class this year for, in terms of edge guys. But you still have at the top, I think, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. I still think Trayvon Walker from Georgia could be slightly ahead of him. But I bumped Johnson up into the top 20 at number 16 overall after watching him this week and seeing him against really good offensive line talent and just dominating during the practices. Yeah, Todd, I'd agree. I think he's got to be in the first-round discussion. Jermaine Johnson does. I think you look at Trayvon Walker, I think he could jump up maybe after the whole process is concluded, maybe into the top 15. And Johnson, when you think about 20 to 32, with the ability he has coming off the edge, you'd have to believe he's going to be there. The cover guys and the pass rushers are going to go in today's NFL. And Johnson showed that both during the year at Florida State and certainly in Senior Bowl week down in Mobile, as you mentioned. So when you have the type of production and you play with the kind of energy he does – Uh, that's going to speak volumes. Now, we have to see. Combine, pro day, do the measurables add up to the production, what you see? If they do, then you put a big exclamation point. When they don't, that's when you have to reassess things. So we'll have to wait and see. We're not all the way through this yet. We haven't uh, finalized any ratings yet, but I think in the late first round, certainly uh, he's well-deserving of coming off the board. And not only are we not done with our ranks yet, Mel, we're just getting started. We have so much ahead. And we want, I want to move to the players whose stock may have taken a little bit of a dip this past week. And this show is about Mel and Todd, to be clear. I just want to offer one piece that I think is important, and it's going to come up a few times during every pre-draft process, is that I think sometimes people that are listening or watching content react to criticism of elite prospects as some sort of indictment of their character or who they are or what they can be. But the reality is that when you're stacking the very best of the prospects available, it's hard to differentiate between player one and player two and player three, four, five. And sometimes you got to look for the tiniest of margins to differentiate these players. So it's not always going to be that the guys are going to be in the first 10 or so picks have A-plus everything across the board. Sometimes you got to be honest about what you're seeing or what you're hearing. And I preface that, Todd, specifically because a player that I know you had some comments on that have drawn some reaction is Kayvon Thibodeau, who's an amazing, amazing prospect. He could wind up being the best player in this draft, and nobody would be surprised by it. But I think after spending the week in Mobile, you maybe learned that the idea of Thibodeau being a top one or top two prospect is not a slam dunk. What more do you have to offer? Yeah, very well said, by the way, Phil. But listen, Thibodeau is is one of the elite talents. There's no question about it. He's long. He's powerful. He can get after the quarterback. He can defend the run. I was just – I shouldn't say surprised because I I see the same things on tape. But in Mobile, the beauty of it is I I probably talked to more people in the league during that concentrated week and then the combine than any other weeks of the year. And so just talking to a bunch of different scouts and general managers and even some coaches, you know, I think they, you know, they go online and they read the mock drafts and they they look at the rankings. And and it's always Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Thibodeau, Hutchinson. That's what it's been for the last couple months. I wasn't getting that vibe. In fact, I, I was told by several different guys, at least four different guys, that they don't be surprised if he's not in the top five. Now, to your point, Field, we're still talking about Thibodeau as a top ten player, and I've currently got him at number seven in the overall rankings, but it's still kind of a shock because we've had him at one or two since the start of the process going back into the summer, and now I've got him at seven. So 
a lot of it just has to do with the consistency down in and down out. You compare him to Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, Trayvon Walker, um, Jermaine Johnson, who was playing his tail off late in the season with nothing to play for at Florida State. Uh, so you see that down-to-down consistency, and you look at Thibodeau and you say, he might be the most talented defensive end in this class, but I want to know what I'm getting if I'm investing $20, 25000000 million in guaranteed money over the next five years in that player. So uh, that was an interesting takeaway for me, is that by no means do people think that he's a lock to go at number one or number two and may not go in the top five. And Derek Stingley, the cornerback from LSU, was another guy that came up multiple times in conversation that – he might not go as high as, as everyone seems to think. And, and the consensus I got, and, and it was how I had him ranked prior to the week, that Ahmad Gardner, Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, is kind of a lock to be the first corner off the board. And then Stingley could go shortly thereafter. But don't be surprised if he falls out of the top five as well. Yeah, the COVID year and then this year, when you talk about injuries and teams that you expect to do really well and be maybe a playoff team, a semifinalist, playing a semifinal game, maybe a championship game, affects things. And Kayvon Thibodeau getting that secondary move. We said all along, it doesn't have the bend of a Miles Garrett. He went number one overall for good reason. Doesn't mean Kayvon Thibodeau. And now maybe with some of the criticism of Stingley Jr. and Thibodeau, they come in with a little bit of a chip to say, okay, keep it up. Keep it going. Sometimes you need that as opposed to the buildup where they were the number one guy Thibodeau was at high school. Stingley had that super high grade after that elite, phenomenal 2019 season when Joe Burrow led LSU to a national title. So it kind of brings them back to earth a bit to say, okay, people aren't you know, celebrating me anymore. They're criticizing me. So sometimes those two players may, may be a benefit to them in the long run. Charlie Kohler. Tight end Iowa State's a kid who had a solid career, no question about it. I think he's certainly well deserving of being a day three pick. But you know, D'Angelo Malone ran him over. That's going to happen. You know, you think about the tremendous quickness. Can you separate? Can you do those things at the pro level? You need to do to give the quarterback that window. Obviously, the production coming in, well experienced, tremendously. Uh, you know, poised kid. He plays hard. He gives you everything he has. He's like I say, he's got a lot of game experience under his belt. Uh, this kid knows what it takes to play at a high level. So he's going to be probably a backup tight end. Could be a little more than that, but a day three guy. And then you look at a guy like Max Mitchell from Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. Had a little bit of struggles in the one-on-ones. Didn't love him during the season as much as I thought I would at times. There were games where he neutralized and some other games where there's some struggles. Max Mitchell has the ability to be a starting right tackle in the NFL. But to say now, like I thought maybe going, he'd be a solid second round pick, at worst a, a, a third round pick. Maybe you change that a bit and maybe you move him into that day three category. When you think about another player, Ed Ingram from LSU got a ton of publicity, as a lot of those LSU Bayou Bengals did. Uh, you know, when you think about the great year they had in 2019, but he had some struggles. And again, Perrion Winfrey getting beat by Winfrey is not an indictment. Perrion Winfrey, you know about a game face? Come about a guy who had brought a mean streak and brought intensity and went down there as a business type situation, as a professional. Perrion Winfrey did that for Oklahoma. I think he made himself a lot of money down there, and a lot of guys did this week in the trenches. Those defensive linemen that couldn't be blocked by those offensive linemen. Certainly made some money, but you have to realize they had the edge physically, maybe over the guy they were going up against. And in this case, certainly Winfrey did. But I think you look at it overall and say maybe Ed Ingram now drops down just a bit in those guard rankings and probably a later day three type of pick. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I talked about it before. One roster had 10 guys on it from the defensive line that could go in the first, second, third round. And another one had probably – 
six or seven. So you're, you're talking about 16, 17 potential first, second, third round picks along the defensive line. And I think it showed up. And a lot of these guys were kind of smaller school or not like big time program players coming in. You talked about Ingram obviously comes from a big program, but I even thought that two of the top offensive tackles, Trevor uh, Penning from, from Northern Iowa and Bernard Raymond from, uh, from Central Michigan, they're loaded with talent. They look the part. They're long. They're powerful. They've got just about everything you want from a tool standpoint. But when they had to go up against the elite of the elite, the Jermaine Johnsons and some of the other edge rushers, D'Angelo Malone, I just thought that there were times that you, you could actually see the weaknesses being exposed in their game a little bit more so than when you watch the tape. So those are two guys that we talked rising, rising, rising. Penning and, and Raymond throughout the, the last couple of months in the process, I didn't think that they had great weeks. And part of it was that they were just going up against great defensive linemen every single snap in these drills. It was a good week for the pass rushers in general down there in Mobile. But passers, Todd, again, that's going to be the position we talk about a ton over the next few months. And we've talked a lot about Kenny Pickett already. Kenny Pickett notably did not have his hand measured down in Mobile uh, because he is double-jointed, so he's going to eventually have his hand measured. And I know people say, who cares about hand size? Can he play or can he not play? Well, it might matter if you're playing in bad weather. And it was not a great week for weather in Mobile this past week. Did you feel like some of that showed in Kenny Pickett's week? Do you feel like some of that might have been due to the inclement conditions? Yeah, I did. I, honestly, I, I, I thought on Wednesday, when I mentioned before, Wednesday it was kind of a driving rain, sideways at times, 20, 25-mile-an-hour winds at times. He, he struggled. He struggled with one of the snaps. He, he botched a snap. He just didn't have the same velocity on the ball, and he didn't have the same ball placement. We, can't, we went inside, as you saw in one of those clips there. We went inside on Thursday for practice, and I thought he was brilliant. I thought he probably had the best day of practice if you were just looking at a single day of practice of any of them because the conditions, yeah, there was wind outside and there was some rain, but it wasn't really coming inside the, the indoor facility. And I thought he really excelled in the red zone where Mac Jones a year ago really excelled as well. And that just shows how the quick processing, getting the ball out on time, and the, and the pinpoint accuracy that you need in a short area where defenses are packed in and you, you just don't have time to kind of slowly go through reads and you can't miss inside the strike zone because there's not much of a strike zone in the red zone. I thought he was great there. So overall, I thought he had a, a solid week. It definitely isn't his best format. You know, he's got some mobility, but he's not Malik Willis. He doesn't have the big-time arm. And the small hands really did show up on Wednesday. So if that was a concern for you as a scout or a general manager coming into the week, it certainly didn't, didn't help. And I even go back to the North Carolina game this year. The second half of that game when the, the rain and the wind started to, to creep in, look at what happened to, to uh, Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh offense. So I know everyone gets worked up. Is it, is it nine inches from, from pinky to thumb, the hand span? Is it nine inches? Is it going to be under nine? And there's never really been a quarterback outside of Michael Vick. And I did the study, Mel. I went back to 2006. There hasn't been a quarterback that's had any success in the league under nine inches. I'm just giving you the stat. I'm not saying I buy it. I'm not saying it's going to be pertinent to Pickett's career. I know Joe Burrow had nine-inch hands, and he's going to the Super Bowl. So I understand all that stuff. I'm just giving you the information. And I'm saying if you were worried coming into the week about that issue with Pickett, certainly didn't help the fact that he struggled probably more so than any of the six quarterbacks there when the weather was an issue on Wednesday. 
Yeah, weather gives a lot of quarterbacks trouble, Todd, whether they have 10 inch hands or, or eight and a half, nine. Uh, that's not something you would prefer to be playing in. Uh, I think the gloves, it's a different look. It's something Teddy Bridgewater did and does, but we don't see that that often. You know, when it's 80 degrees, you're wearing a glove. When it's 25 degrees, you're wearing a glove. Now, he played at Heinz Field. He played at Pitt. He had 50 career starts. So he's been in weather. He's been in cold. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be raining. It can be you know, really cold. It can be bitter. It can be some wind. But I think. In terms of Kenny Pickett, I think what you have to decide with Kenny is, is he more an Andy Dalton or is he more a Derek Carr? Mm. Or is he somewhere in between? And that's, that's again, that's what it really boils down to. I'm, I'm sorry, satisfied with both. But I think when you look in the second round, yeah, it's where Andy Dalton came off the board. Where did Derek Carr come off the board? Second round. Now we're talking about Kenny Pickett. Like around the middle of the first, right? So it may, is that a little high for the type of quarterback Kenny Pickett is and who we're comparing him to? Now, Derek Carr is played a lot better in an early second. Andy Dalton as well was a really good quarterback for the Bengals. But I think you look at Kenny, there's going to be mixed opinion. And the guys I've spoken to aren't concerned about the hand size. I haven't had one yet concerned. I get what you're saying, Todd. But, uh, you know, is that going to affect his draft position? I still think Malik Willis, if things go the way it's trending, could still be the first quarterback taken on talent. Matt Corral still in that mix as well, who was not at the Senior Bowl. So I think it's going to be a wild ride all the way up to late April to see who is, in fact, the first quarterback off the board. And who's going to be the team, say, around that 11 spot with Washington, that 8 spot with Atlanta? Mm. How high is this QB1 going to get pushed up that draft board? Man, I'm excited for these next few months. We're going to come back with a couple of players, more hidden gems from the Senior Bowl. That'll be just a moment. As first, we wonder, do you own or rent your home? Sure you do, and I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy, and it's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you can save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. And First Draft is also brought to you by CSX Transportation, which is an industry leader on the move. The railroad company has immediate openings for freight train conductors. Join the CSX team and start your paid on-the-job training today, earning nearly $25 per hour with no degree required. If you're safety-focused with a passion for great service, you've got what it takes to move your career forward at CSX. Apply at csx.com careers. That's csx.com careers. CSX is an equal opportunity employer. All right, we're back with a couple of players who qualify as hidden gems. And Todd, I'll start with you. Isaiah Likely. Yeah, Isaiah Likely really impressed me. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't take that long. I've studied his tape, and I really liked his tape coming out of Coastal Carolina. But it doesn't take long when you see a guy up, up close and you see how he moves athletically. And he's, he's just different than everybody. Even Trey McBride, who's, I think, the more complete tight end. He's tight end one in this, year, this year's class. Isaiah Likely is a better, I would say, athlete, and, and a, I was really impressed with his route running, his stems, using leverage to, to get separation out of his breaks. He just he moves well. He's 6'4", 240 pounds. He's got those big 10-inch hands, contested catches. He's been very good. He can separate. He can run. I, I just I really liked Likely throughout the week, and I thought he stood out. And I, he's firmly as the number two tight end, and I've moved him up to number 44 in terms of my overall draft rankings. I, I just think Likely is going to be one of those top 50 prospects coming off of this week. Then another guy, Eric Johnson, he really jumped out at me as well, and I didn't know a ton. I had done a little bit of tape on him early in the, in the season because a scout told me, you got to check out this guy. He's pretty good. You probably don't know him coming out of Missouri State. And he showed up, and he was dominant in the trenches. I mean, he's a big, 
Defensive lineman. I think he's going to be best suited at five technique. You could play him at a defensive tackle. He's long. He's powerful. He's got a little bit of bend for such a big guy, too. Really strong versus the run. You see there, too, in the bull rush. That's where he excels. And he was just consistently was around the football making plays. And I thought more so when they, when they went to you know, unit drills, when they were the run game, the inside run game, he was dominant there. And then in team, he just kept showing up you know, play after play. So I thought he, he stood out in what turned out to be a really good defensive tackle class down in Mobile. Big defensive lineman seemed to show out yep. pretty well this past week, Mel. So your thoughts on him. And then also we talked about, or a little earlier, Troy Anderson from yep. uh, Montana as well. Your thoughts on Troy Anderson, who was one of your sort of hidden gems from the week down in Mobile. Yeah, he really was. To go back to, to Isaiah Likely, those coast-to-coast receptions that he had from Grayson McCall were really impressive at Coastal Carolina for Deshante Clears, and now he's a he's a Likely second-rounder. So that's a pretty impressive where he's come from where he was back in August to now. But Troy Anderson from Montana State, the Bobcats, you talked about a guy that reminds me a lot. I mentioned him earlier, Matt Milano. Mm. Matt Milano was a safety in high school, right? Comes into Boston College, evolves into this all-around, three-down linebackers, doing a great job with the Buffalo Bills. Troy Anderson in every way possible impacted a football game and in every way possible played everywhere. He played quarterback, started back a couple years ago, played running back, played safety, linebacker. You talk about a do-it-all performer who's got incredible change of direction, real flexible, smooth hip, turning motion. He's got all that to be a guy you can keep on that field for every down as an inside linebacker. Very impressive. Troy Anderson, I think at worst, Todd, tell me if I'm crazy. I think at worst, he's a third or fourth round pick. Maybe a second, but I'll say at worst, I'll just go on record, at worst, a third round pick. You are. You are crazy, Mel. There's, I mean, there's absolutely no debating that. Just ask Kim Kuyper about that. That's a given, but in yeah. this case, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think Troy Anderson, I would put him in as a lock to not go past the third round, to be honest. I think he's a day two pick, and he, he proved it throughout the weekend. It's interesting, too. In today's NFL, guys are, you know, scouts and coaches – even talking to, to Chris Spielman, who is now working for the Detroit Lions, he, he was in love with a, a bunch of these guys who were kind of safety uh, linebacker hybrids because you can keep them on the field for all three downs. You can use them in coverage. And as you're trying to be more multiple, uh, Tariq Carpenter from Georgia Tech was another guy that really stood out kind of in that same mold as Anderson. A, a strong safety, kind of in-the-box safety for a lot of his career in college, uh, but can play linebacker and can just be that multiple uh, – you know, multiple player in what's becoming more and more a positionless uh, NFL. And I think that Carpenter helped himself. That's a name that nobody really knows. Troy Anderson had a huge week, as you said. Chad Muma had a big week. So these off-the-ball linebackers, I thought, really showed up. And, and usually the senior bowl, that's not the case. But I was impressed with Anderson, Carpenter, and Muma. Uh, Todd has referenced some updated rankings, which are always being updated during the pre-draft process. We're going to discuss a few players and their rankings. But first... If you haven't yet listened to our friend Mina Kimes show, do it. Because the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is a podcast that brings you the latest news and trends in and around the NFL. Join Mina and guests such as the great Dominique Foxworth, Mike Goldick Jr. I pop on there from time to time. It's fun. It's funny. It's informative. If you like X's and O's, if you like analytics, if you like dog talk, and if you don't, well, I got nothing to say to you. By the way, Lenny is her dog. You should give the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny a listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Todd, let's uh, go back to rankings here. Talk about a few players who perhaps moving up or down in the ranks. We'll start with a very speedy player, Tariq Woolen from UTSA. Seemed like he had a pretty solid week down there in Mobile. 
Yeah, very few guys help themselves more than Woolen. And, and he's coming, you know, you, you got to go back and look at the history. He, he came into college at UTSA as a wide receiver, converted over to, to cornerback. I studied his tape in the summer, and, and I liked him, but thought he was really raw. This year I've studied a little bit more. I actually studied it when I was in Mobile because I saw him on the practice field Tuesday. I said, damn, this guy's different. I mean, he's six foot three, 204 pounds. He was the fastest player when they clocked him at practice at 22.5 miles per hour in practice. That equates typically to the, to the four threes in the 40-yard dash. And what's the most important two measurables, probably for any position in terms of draft grade? It's at cornerback with speed and arm length. And his arm length was 33 and a half inches. I mean, that's unbelievable. And then you add probably four, three speed with that. I think he's going to wind up. I have him now at number 31 overall in my rankings. And that's really shocking compared to the fourth round grade I had on him coming into the year. But he improved from year one to year two, especially as a tackler. Beyond that, I thought Woolen probably had one of the best weeks of any player there. And then Christian Watson from North Dakota State. He's another player I studied in this summer and, and, and saw enough to, to keep him on the radar, thought maybe a mid-round pick. But he keeps getting better and better. Mm. And his measurables are off the charts, too. 6'4", 205. I mean, outside of Drake London from USC, he's about the only other playmaking 6'4 receiver in this class. And he comes out, and you see here some of the plays, the vertical speed. Here on the jet sweep, his ability with the ball in his hands. You'll see another play following up. And I just went through the tape as I watched in Mobile and, and was watching play after play. And I know it's it, it's one A level, the FCS level, but he's like five, seven yards behind defensive backs that watched tape all week and knew that this guy's a burner. Some guys, when you get on the field, just shock you with their speed. And that's what Watson did during the season. And that's what I think Watson's going to you know, wind up doing in the NFL. He's, he, to me, has really moved up. I've got him in the second round as the seventh best receiver in what's turning out to be a really deep wide receiver class. And then the third player that really jumped out to me in terms of moving up my rankings, Perrion Winfrey from, from Oklahoma. Where you been, my man? And I know it, part of it was the scheme. They do a lot of slanting at, at Oklahoma. It didn't really feature his strengths. His first step quickness was the best of any defensive lineman or defensive tackle, I should say, in Mobile all week long. It was like every single drill, watch, flying off the ball, penetrating, getting on the edge of offensive linemen. And by the time offensive linemen could get set, they had no chance. He was already working around the edge of them. He was productive throughout the week in practice. He had a sack in the game on Saturday. And I've bumped him up to, uh, to number 43 overall in this class. I think he could be an early second-round pick. Some people may say that he, the, the nose tackle slash three-technique defensive tackle could wind up going late in the first. But that was a big move up for me from the third round to the early second-round range as the third defensive tackle in this class. Todd, I just hope in a couple of weeks when I do my updated rankings, you allow me 20 minutes uninterrupted as well to, to talk about the players that I'm moving up the board. So just uh, allow me that Anything as well. Anything for you, Mel. When I do that in a couple of weeks, Todd. I appreciate it, but now I'll go back to Tariq Woolen. He was two years at corner. He was a wide receiver, caught like 25 passes over his first two years, has the length, certainly came on strong. You think about where Sauce Gardner is because of great length at Cincinnati, now maybe the number one corner off the board ahead of Derek Stingley Jr. Tariq Woolen, basketball background in high school, track background in high school, and a former receiver turned corner with that length you talked about. Perry and Winfrey. There were games where I watched him and I said, boy, why isn't he more disruptive? But there were games where he was exploding into that backfield and really getting after the quarterback and really being a factor against the run. And I watched him when he came off the field in that senior bowl game. 
he just had an attitude about, I'm going out here and I'm going to dominate. I'm a professional yeah. football player now at the Senior Bowl. And he played like it. I, the attitude, the approach with him, like nobody's blocking me. Mm. And what he did, Ed Ingram sp- spoke volumes, but he had done it all along the, the course of the week. So Perry and Winfrey, Todd, I got to believe Devontae Wyatt, when we start talking about these defensive tackles, Jordan Davis, is he a stay-at-home guy? Is he more built for the 80s, 90s, and now? You want guys that explode into that backfield that can wreak havoc. I, I go back to, to just what we're looking at now. Now, as opposed to 20 years ago, and say for today's NFL, uh, Perry and Winfrey may, be, in fact, be in that late first round discussion right now. Had a great, great week. We've seen players boost their stock every year during the Senior Bowl. Perhaps Perry and Winfrey is the latest, latest beneficiary of this very important week. And, you know, this show over the years has evolved. One of the realities is that as we have this digital presence, we're a little more buttoned up, right? We kind of know the topics we want to talk about before the show begins, and then we see what happens once the lights go on. But sometimes we've got to just throw it back to vintage Mel Kuyper. When we let Mel just go off script, Mel, I want to hear what's on your mind. Take it away, my friend. Uh, lots on my mind, Field, always, as Todd knows. I'm not going to go 20 minutes on these guys, so McShay can just destroy me. But I'm going to talk about a receiver that has not been mentioned yet. And think about Boise State. Uh, one of my former Calvert Hall, best quarterback in Calvert Hall history, Tommy Stewart, was on Darian Mel Saturday. And you think about the Boise State Broncos and Cedric Wilson, a job he did with the Dallas Cowboys, wide receiver. We know about all the other guys like Leighton Vander Esch that's playing with the Cowboys and other guys in the NFL from that program. Jeremy McNichols, Alexander Madison, Dante Dion. Well, you think about a receiver like Khalil Shakir and what he did at Boise State, the production, the impactful plays he made, both talking about getting his hands on the football, letting him have a chance to run with the football, in the return game as well. He can help you there as a punt returner, as a kickoff returner. This kid had 208 career receptions, averaged 14 yards a catch with 20 touchdowns. Well, Todd, we may have lost Mel there for a minute. There was a lot to unpack there. Anything jump out for what Mel was uh, going off script on right there? Well, I, I actually got my phone out and was, um, and was starting to time him because he just gave me grief about two minutes. He was already up to a minute and five seconds. And yeah. I think, I, I, judging Wax- by his tone, I think he was just warming up. Yeah, well, I think he was just warming up. So waxing I, poetic on Boise State Hopefully we State get him there. back. Yeah, well, you know, at this point, yes. you never know with, with Kuiper. And, uh, but it, his passion, certainly unmatched. And I think we may have... Mel, no, we do not have Mel back. But Todd, you know what? If we don't have Mel back, the show's about to end anyways. But I want to close by asking you about one player, one more player who, yep. another quarterback. And I know people might have some quarterback fatigue by the time the draft rolls around. But it's an important year because I don't know who is the odds-on favorite to go first amongst these quarterbacks. But Desmond Ritter, I thought played well during the game itself. What did he look like during the entire week? Because it's not just about the game. Yeah, I thought I thought he'd be, it was equivalent to what you see on tape with Desmond, where you see the mobility, you see he's got a good arm, the ball kind of you know pops off of his hand, and to me, Ritter, the only thing that seems to be missing is is the consistency with the ball placement, and I've seen it on tape. Like he'll throw eight balls and they're in the perfect spot, but then there'll be two, you know, one will miss within the strike zone, which he'll take away yards after catch. Another one he'll just he'll sail. He misses high a lot when he does miss. So. You saw that throughout the week. I thought Ritter, again, you don't want to grade just a week of practice, but I thought he played basically to the level you see on tape. I, to me, he's probably the fourth or fifth best quarterback in this class. I think likely to go somewhere in that early, early second round range. And Sam Howell is interesting, too, from North Carolina while we're on it and while, while Kuyper's been muted, which, which is lovely. Um, Sam Howell, I thought he had a good week. 
you know, judging by, by what Mel said, I thought that he, you know, what I heard was that Mel was saying that he, he was kind of frustrated with the lack of consistency out of Howell. Um, he, he's interesting. He's got some work to do in terms of his footwork. He's got a lot of, I, I call it lazy feet. I'm not calling him lazy. He's the exact opposite of lazy because he, he's as competitive and hardworking as there is in, in this entire draft class. But his feet just are kind of, you know, almost like a shortstop getting in turn two. You know, he, he just has a lot of throws like that. And then when he does have to go from progression one to two to three, he kind of gets a little frenzied with his feet. So I think just working with a coach in the NFL and getting his footwork to match up with his eyes and his progressions will help him. But certainly showed the arm strength. He showed the mobility. And, and, he, and he's competitive and he played well in the game, which is exactly what I expected out of Howell. So it's going to be a fascinating class. Mel's right. You know, there's a lot of guys in the league that think Willis is the number one quarterback. There's a lot of guys in the league that think Pickett out of Pittsburgh is going to be the number one quarterback off the board. There's some people that think Matt Corral is going to be the best of the bunch coming out of Ole Miss, and he wasn't in Mobile. Desmond Ritter has some big fans, and Desmond Ritter has some guys in the league that say, yeah, I just, you know, I don't trust the accuracy. And Sam Howell, and, you know, as well, as I just mentioned. So those five guys are all kind of in the mix in the first round or early second round. And I, I think the debate, I would love – to get some audio tape inside the war room of a lot of these teams as you're leading up to the draft. Because my guess is if you've got 10 different voices in the, in the draft room, you're probably going to get two or three different opinions in terms of who the best quarterback is in this year's draft class. It is not Trevor Lawrence, and then we'll figure it out beyond that. A very open field for that number one quarterback right. off the board. Mel Kuyper is back. We took our going off script play a little too seriously there, Mel. I'll let you wrap it up here as we say goodbye here on the First Draft Podcast. But I, I want to – the, that rant was, I, I could tell we were building some momentum towards something really good there. So keep it going. Yeah, we went off script. We went off the radar because of McShay. He doesn't want me to go off script. Yeah, get off the radar. Get out of here. Right? Why is this my fault? I, I had no shot. I knew that. I knew he did it purposely. I knew he pulled a plug on me on my own segment off the script. Is now off the radar. But I think when you look at Khalil Shakir, Todd, at Boise State, a kid who caught the football consistently, showed versatility, punt returner, kickoff returner. Cedric Wilson's playing in the NFL now as a sixth-round pick, former sixth-round pick at that Boise State Bronco program with the Dallas Cowboys, like Khalil Shakir as a third-round steal. And another kid we mentioned, D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky. You talk about Trevor Penning. He got under the pads of Trevor Penning. He got under the pads of a lot of guys. He ran over Charlie Kohler, okay? D'Angelo Malone had a productive career at Western Kentucky. Okay, he did the job. You go back to the Indiana game, one and a half sacks in that game this past year. Michigan State, he had nine tackles. He had 11 tackles against UTSA. Angelo Malone's going to be really scrutinized and see how he tests athletically, physically, because he should do really well. If he does, the Angelo Malone tests well at the Combine, have a good pro day on the heels of a productive career, and what we saw at the Senior Bowl practice and game, I think he's a guy, a pass rusher off the edge like that. Certainly is going to be a guy very intriguing, uh, whether it's late day two, early day three. I'm going to watch D'Angelo Malone at the Combine and see, boy, what are his numbers? They're going to be really uh, important to see where he ends up in terms of the pass rushers coming off the board. Less than one month until the Combine, of course, in Indianapolis, a great, great host city for that event. And the technology gods were trying to tell us, hey, the show is over, gentlemen, as Kuiper's feed was once again going in and out. But Mel powered through because he is a true professional. Mel Kuiper Jr., Todd McShay, nobody better talking about the NFL draft. So appreciate both of you, and we'll do it again same time, same place next week. Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern time. First draft is live.